Morning. I'd like to uh, wish you a very warm welcome uh, this morning to our communion service. And I have a few announcements just to bring to your attention. Uh, afternoon tea on Saturday the 5th of February at 2 p.m. Uh, the music is by Waiting for Sophie. Um, I'm sure Sophie's worth waiting for, whoever <laughs> she is. But Waiting for Sophie is the, the group. And to obtain a ticket, please contact Muriel Irvine by the 31st of January. Uh, the church weekend in Bush Mills from the 4th to the 6th of March, getting ever closer. The closing date to put your application in uh, for the church weekend has been extended until next Sunday. That's the 23rd of January. Uh, it's important to get your application into to Linda McKnight or Laura Henry, and forms are still available in the vestibule. Uh, flowers are Sunday services. If you'd like to provide flowers uh, for Sunday services, please sign up on, uh, on the rota, which is now located on the notice board in the corridor leading off the vestibule. Uh, the PW dinner date has been changed uh, from January uh, the 28th to March the 20th, and the venue is still Bangor Golf Club, uh, 6 to 6.30. Church committee meeting uh, is Tuesday the 25th of January at 7.30 p.m. in the church, and just a wee reminder that there is a Kirk Session meeting this Tuesday evening at half past seven in the church also. And uh, just a wee thank you. Thank you to Karen and to the Anchor Boys. I'll get to know them and I'll thank them personally when I see them. But uh, they sent me a whole lot of week welcome cards during the week. And uh, welcome to Ballycrocken, it says. To Reverend Sean, family, welcome to Ballycrocken from the anchors of 10th Bangor BB and Girls Association. And I got lots of lovely little uh, pictures. I think that's meant to be me uh, in amongst the flowers. I just wish it was as slim as that. But... Uh, <laughs> But thank you very much for that. Really great to receive those. Um, okay, and just a wee thing just I wanted to say to you. Uh, please, I'd like you to call me Mark uh, rather than Reverend Mark. Okay, we're friends, hopefully, and I'll get to know you. Uh, so I'm more comfortable with Mark. Okay, if, if, if that's all right. I appreciate that. So Romans, I just want to start the service. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Jesus, that you came. And Lord, we thank you that you didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up, put our best suits on before we could get right with you. But Lord, that you came and died for us when we were still sinners. That you came and you accept us, Lord. We come to you as we are, needing forgiveness, needing to be cleansed, needing to be reconciled. And Lord, we pray that by your Holy Spirit that you might come this morning and move from seat to seat and heart to heart throughout this congregation. Lord, each of us come in and you know what's on our hearts. You know what's in our minds. You know what's worrying us for the days ahead, for the week ahead. Lord, we pray that we might come and know your spirit move in our hearts freely, that our hearts might be open to receive words of encouragement, words of assurance, words of forgiveness. Lord, that we might reconnect and our souls be restored uh, once more. 
We ask these things that in everything today that is said, done, and sung, that your Son may be glorified. And as we lift him high, may you draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to stand and we're going to sing When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, a very reflective hymn. I'd like to read um, from John chapter 21, uh, John 21, um, just a, a personal reflection um, as we come around the Lord's table later on. John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, 
do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Often when we come to a communion service, uh, we can come perhaps anxious and, and feeling hypocritical and uh, unworthy of coming. And let me just remind you that, that communion is for sinners, for sinners saved by grace. And in this chapter, when Peter recognizes that it's Jesus standing on the beach, he jumps out of the boat and he manages to stumble his way towards Jesus. And as he runs up the beach and he smells the campfire burning and he sees it burning, that Jesus has some fish and some bread on the stove and he smells it. And I suspect that Peter is reminded of a campfire not so long ago when he sat warming himself outside the high priest's house. And uh, do you remember that story? Jesus, meanwhile, he's in the high priest's house and he's being questioned and he's being judged and he's being accused. And outside, as Peter warms himself by the fire, there are three people that come over and ask him and say to him, listen, I know you, I know who you are. You're a disciple of that Jesus who's in the high priest's house right now. I know who you are and three times, he denies and even swears, goes back to his old lifestyle. He says, I swear I do not know this man. I don't know him. And at that moment when the cock crows, Jesus is just leaving the house of the high priest and Peter's eyes catch Jesus's eyes and how embarrassed he feels and how ashamed he feels. And we're told that he went out and he wept bitterly. And the Greek for that word, um, bitterly, that he wept bitterly, it, it literally means he wept until his lungs were sore. Until his lungs were sore. But this is what makes forgiveness such a wonderful thing. Jesus never brings up what Peter has done. He never raises it. Instead, he goes one step further. He says, he offers him breakfast. Here, Peter, come on, bring some of them fish. We're going to have fish and bread. And they sit and they chat and they have breakfast together. And then he takes Peter out of earshot from the other disciples. And he doesn't rebuke Peter. He restores him. All Jesus wants to know is this one thing. Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, we're assuming that it was, the scene was, the boats were behind him in the Sea of Galilee, and it's thought that he was referring, do you love me more than your career, Peter? Do you love me more than anything? Peter says, I, I do, I love you. And he asks him three times. He does three denials, and three times he asks him, do you love me? He's not asking, do you know theology? He's not asking, have you got your doctrine right? Those things are important. But he says, Peter, I need to know. I need to know this. Do you love me? And uh, I'm sure you've felt at some point in your life, I've felt it many times, even maybe just recently, where you've felt, I'm not worthy to be his child, let alone come around the communion table. Christ reaches out to us this morning and desires not to rebuke us, but to restore us. To restore us and he asks us the same question what I want to know this morning is do you love me 
That's all I want to know. Do you love me? He keeps no list of our wrongs. He keeps no list of our wrongs. You're forgiven, you're forgiven. It's done and dusted. Do you love me? And forgiveness is such an amazing thing. It, it, it rekindles the fire in our souls. It rekindles our love for the Lord when we reconnect with him. We're going to stand and, and sing another very reflective song. It's before the throne of God above. And there's a little verse in it that talks about where the enemy tries to accuse us. Oh, you're not worthy. Of course we're not worthy. But we can feel under condemnation. But we look to the Lord who's died on the cross for us and our sins are dealt with, over forgiven. And each day we find that cleansing as we sin. We find his love and grace is there for us. Let's stand and sing before the throne of God above. For folk uh, this morning, and uh, I'm going to pray for it. not by name. Uh, I'm going to pray for the sick. I'm going to pray for those who would love to be out here this morning, but feel unsafe yet to come out who are vulnerable. 
going to pray for those who feel isolated. Going to pray also for those who are grieving at the moment. Who are grieving? Those who are going through a time of bereavement. Um, there's a little technique, a little simple prayer technique, and I don't know what burdens you're bringing this morning. Um, people, maybe you're worried about, and you want to bring them before the Lord. There's a little prayer technique: hands up, hands down. Don't know if you've ever heard of that, but it's just a simple thing. We bring hands up. We bring our loved ones, we bring our burdens to the Lord in prayer. Yes, hands up. Hands up. And then we leave them there, hands down. We don't pick them up again. We leave them there. Let's pray. Father, we're told that um, in the body of Christ, one part of the body hurts, then we all hurt. One feels it, we all feel it. One rejoices, we all rejoice. And Father, I don't know everyone here, obviously, but Lord, in general, people come and their hearts are burdened and their hearts are worried about a loved one who's ill, someone who's waiting test results, someone who's going through bereavement, someone who's, who's just struggling in life. And Lord, we want to bring them to you. We want to bring them hands up, we surrender them to you, Lord. We take a quiet moment, Lord, thinking of those who are in a difficult place right now, and we surrender them to you in a quiet moment. We mention their names in our hearts. And hands down, we leave them with you. And Lord, we come to the, about those who are ill. And we thank you that we have a master surgeon in our midst this morning, Jesus of Nazareth. And we pray for their healing, Lord, for those people that are ill. We pray for their healing touch. For those who are lonely, Father, may they know your presence in their home this morning. May they know that you are closer to them than even their right arm. And Lord, we pray for those who are grieving. Lord, man's words cannot reach down into the heart that far to comfort those who are hurting and feel lost at the moment. Lord, your spirit is a spirit of comfort and do that and go right down where man's words cannot reach. We pray that you will do that for them right now in this place or sitting at home, wherever they are, however deep the pain is. Lord, we pray, heal that. Heal it. Put your arms around them. Let them know that you have them, that you have them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd just like to, I'd like to read Matthew uh, 27. Matthew 27. Uh, verse 47. Sorry, 27 to 47. Chapter 27, verses 27 to 47. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers round him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns, and they set it on his head. 
They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spat on him, took the staff, struck him on the head again and again. And after they'd mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. And as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gold, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. And when they crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. The same way the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. The same way the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. He's calling Elijah. Let me just pray with you a moment. Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you into our midst this morning. Lord, we recognize that if you are not here, this is just a social gathering. But we thank you that you are here, where two or three are gathered in the midst. You say, I am in the midst of them. Thank you that you're here. Thank you that soon you're going to be coming around the table with us. We thank you for that. Lord, it's a privilege to have you amongst us. And I pray that you would touch us, that you would reassure us, that you would heal, that you would comfort, that you would do all that you would want to do this morning. In Jesus' precious name, in your name, Amen. I'd like to take you to Calvary this morning. But before we go there, let's, let's focus on the pathway which leads up to Calvary, the Via Della Rosa. There's a man struggling with a cross on his back. He manages to walk a few yards and then he falls again. And another few and then he falls again. And another few and then he falls again. And there are crowds of people, they're lining the pathway, people shouting, women crying. You can see the man's back, the skin has been ripped off, and uh, it's red raw with cuts and with sores. 
few Roman soldiers are trying to hurry him up, and their patience is wearing thin. They grab a man called Simon, carry it for him. It's a slow pace up this hilly, windy road. And they have now arrived at Golgotha, the place of the skull. It's also called Calvary. It's a hill outside the walls of Jerusalem, a hill dedicated to death, dedicated to torture. And I hope you can hear the cries of this man as they push him face down, push him forcefully onto his open back then. And there's tears in his eyes and there's pain within his face as they thrust these massive nails through his hands and through his feet. And the pain, the pain that he feels through every muscle and every sinew in his body. Well, that's that. Roman soldiers have done their job. And so with a drink and a laugh, they gamble all this man has of value left in the world. Who on earth is this man? Who is he? Makes me think of Psalm 22, written by David hundreds of years earlier. A psalm which speaks of the Messiah still to come. He writes, they pierced my hands and my feet. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. What a sorry sight this is. To use the words of Isaiah, he's smitten by God and afflicted. He seems to have more enemies than friends. And even the religious leaders, they're poking fun at him. The man looks a complete mess, a complete mess mess as he hangs there alone at the end of his young life he's nothing he's hanging naked on the cross and there's a couple of women crying at the feet of the cross nothing left but if you listen carefully you might hear him speak He's trying to get a breath. He's trying to get the words out. Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabak, Fanny. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Who could this man be and why has God forsaken him? I imagine that many of us if not all of us ask the same question at least once in our lives, probably more than once, God, where are you? God, where are you when I really need you? God, where are you? My mum uh, used to, to bake lemon meringue pies. And uh, you know by now I've got a bit of a taste for sweet stuff. And, and uh, there used to be, uh, there probably still is, royal lemon meringue pie filling. Some of you cooks can tell me afterwards if it's still on the go. But mum used to, I used to like to mix the mixture. And the reason I liked to mix it as the heat got greater and greater was that it was very, very thin, but there was this little capsule, like a little float when you're fishing. And it was just 
it used to float around on the top of the mixture. And I just waited for it to then burst under the intense heat and the pressure. And then what was a very thin liquid became a very thick liquid. And I'm sure you felt the intense pressure sometimes in your life and you might feel like you're that little meringue pie capsule bobbing about in the pressures of life and you feel like you're about to burst. God, where are you when I need you? Now, I don't mean to be irreverent by using that illustration, but the pressure on the cross has intensified. So much so the heat is on full power. The pain is so unbelievably gut-wrenching and the sorrow so overwhelming that Jesus cries out, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why? This man, Jesus, of course, knows the answer to his own question. He's told the disciples repeatedly what awaited him in Jerusalem. During their last Passover together, he lifts the bread and he breaks it and he says, this is my body broken for you. And he takes the cup and he says, this is my blood which is poured out for you. And in the garden later that night, he prays to God, calling him Father. And he says, Father, if there be any other way, sweat, drips of sweat like blood coming from him. If there be any other way, Father, than this way, please let it be done, but not my will but yours. He knows what's about to happen and he knows why it's about to happen. So you might wonder, why does he ask the question? Well, he's human. He's human. That's why he asks the question. He feels pain just like you and I feel pain. Let me, let me just read out the verbs and a couple of phrases which Matthew uses to describe Jesus' torture up to this point. Let me just read these out. Verse 26, Pilate has Jesus scourged. Verse 28, they stripped him. Verse 29, the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. Verse 35, he's on the cross, they crucified him, a horrific death by suffocation is happening. Verse 39, they blasphemed him. Verse 41, even the thieves at either side reviled him. In this short passage, Jesus is physically abused. He's verbally abused. He's emotionally abused. And I think one of the most hurtful things said to Jesus was from the religious leaders when they said, he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. If God, his father, will even have him. I don't think he will. That's what they're saying. If, if God will have him. If God will even have him. It's likely he won't even want him. And they really kick him when he's dying. 
If this man is the Messiah, listen to the prophetic words of David in that Psalm 22. And we know he is the Messiah. But listen to these words. Psalm 22, David writes of the quiet prayers that go on within the Messiah's heart at this particular moment. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is no one, no one to help me. Deserted, he feels abandoned, only a couple of women at his feet. And in the midst of all this, Luke in his gospel tells us that Jesus is able to cry, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What kind of man can this be? What kind of man can this be whose heart flows such forgiveness? And as he surrenders his spirit to God, the veil in the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. Darkness falls upon all the land and the earth quakes, the rocks split. And the Roman centurion, surprisingly, he's a man from a pagan nation. He declares this was, truly this was the son of God. A man from a pagan nation. How can a man from a pagan nation recognize Jesus as the son of God and the very religious leaders don't? Jesus never experienced anything remotely like this before. Yes, when he came to earth, it was difficult being torn away from his father's side. That was difficult. But up to now, he could always meet him in prayer, and he often did. He'd go off into the mountains early in the morning and pray and meet with his father. Even in the garden on the night of the, his arrest, angels were able to come and comfort him. But this is different. This is different. Heaven is silent. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God, for the first time, by his own choice, makes himself silent in response. That must have been difficult for him not to respond to his own son. But it's like the phone line is dead. And they now take Jesus' lifeless body down from the cross. A man who not only went through terrible affliction on the cross, as a human being, but as the Son of God upon his shoulders, he bore the sins of man, woman, and children. It was as I wrote all those years ago, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. By his stripes we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I wonder, can I ask you a question? How serious is sin? How serious is sin? Our society tends to make light of it, doesn't it? As if it was some toy to play with. But when we catch a glimpse of what it meant for God to leave his son alone with his enemies, and for his enemies to do whatever they wanted to him, to use his enemies to crush him. What absolute agony. 
for the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, for the whole Godhead to witness this and go through this, sin must be very serious indeed. For that to happen, that he might deal with the sin that separates us from God. You know, the wages of sin really are death, as Paul says. But here at this time, it's death to the one who loves you more than anyone else ever has, ever does, or ever will. When we come to Christ, we repent of our sin. We ask for forgiveness. We ask him to be our Savior and Lord. And when we do that, we tap into what happened that day at Calvary. Christ has paid the price. You know, sometimes it's hard for us to forgive ourselves. God forgives us and we know that, but sometimes it's very hard for us to forgive ourselves because we know the sin. We know the messes that we've made. But Christ's death was enough for any sin that you might have been involved in, done, or anything. It's done, Calvary. Jesus said, it's finished. It's enough. And when you put your trust in Christ as Savior and Lord, you tap into that and you are forgiven. Let us come and reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as the driven snow. Isaiah tells us, and you'll find this very strange. Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord to bruise his own son. Hi. Why on earth would it please the father to bruise his own son? I don't get that. But the answer is, you're the reason. And I'm the reason. You see, we ask that question because we don't fully grasp the love of God that God has for us. And God the Father was so keen to find a way of dealing with sin that separates us from him. And he's so pleased when he finds a way to get you back to him again. And even though it was agony to watch his son be pierced and to die, and I ask you another question is how much does God want you? I love that verse and I think it's Ephesians where Paul says, I'm praying, I'm on my knees, and I pray that you might know the height and the width and the depth of, of, of God's love for you. We get it there sometimes, we don't get it there. We find it hard because we have a low self-esteem of ourselves and we think, How could God ever love me anyway? Paul's saying, I want you to know. How much God wants you. I want you to know how much God loves you. I want you to know it not just in your head but in your heart.
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the, I am the, lay, I am the way which leads to the truth, which leads to life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus, the door is open now, the way is open, the cross has opened that door. Come to me, come to the Father through me, says Jesus. I hope this morning you feel it. I hope you feel the love God has for you. I hope you feel it. If you're, if you're walking down the street with a friend and, and suddenly you both notice a lorry out of control, skidding up the pavement, and it's about to hit you, your friend grabs you and pushes you out of the way, but he's killed, would you doubt his love for you? I don't think you would. And when we receive Christ, when we put our trust in Christ, he pushes out, us out of the way of 50 tons of judgment due to come on our heads. And he takes it. Paul tells us in Romans 12 verse 3 that God gives each of us a measure of faith. And whether that be a small measure, whether it be a medium-sized measure, a large measure, we need to use that measure to learn to trust him and try and develop that faith. James in his letter tells us, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that's why Jesus said about children, Surely I say to you, unless you're converted and become as a little child, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, a child recognizes need. It recognizes its need. It, if, it, if it needs fed, it cries and someone will come and feed it. If it falls, it cries and someone will come and patch up its knee and get it back on its feet again. A child recognizes its need. Often we don't recognize our need. Sometimes we're proud and we don't want to recognize our need for Christ. But when it starts, when that connection by faith comes, it's the start of salvation and it carries us through the rest of our lives into eternity. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, said the writer of the Hebrews. Faith implies dependence. God, I need you. Maybe God's saying to you this morning, do you love me? Do you trust me? Can I ask you just the third and final question? Do you have hope? We looked a wee bit at that last week, but it, in this thick tunnel of darkness which Jesus went through, eventually the Father comes for him. He comes for him. Black as the day has been, the Father has come for his Son. In Psalm 22, uh, that prophetic Psalm, we see a glimpse in verse 24 of hope and resurrection. From verse 21, there's a light shining in the darkness. We're told that God has not hidden his face from him. That when he cries to him, he hears. Yes, he's alone for a while on the cross. Yes, he's abandoned. He's deserted by the Father. But then Jesus prays in faith towards the end of that very cruel day. And he says, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And the Father turns his ear back towards him. Matthew tells us that three days later he walks out of the tomb. The Father has come for him. He would not Leave him. And he'll not leave you either. 
he'll not leave you either. If you're Christ's disciple, he will never leave you alone. Christ faced the cross alone, that you would never have to face anything alone, not even death itself. I'm going to just finish there early, <clears throat> just with one thought. We've celebrated Christmas. Emmanuel, I'm sure you've sang about Emmanuel, you've read about Emmanuel. It's one of my most favorite titles for Jesus in the whole Bible because it shows the very heart, the very desire that God has. In that one title, God with us. What's God's desire? It's to be with us and for us to be with him. You know, if you're a believer, you're a receiver. Christ is your hope. Whatever you're facing tomorrow, you're not alone. He's right beside you. God's perspective is very different from ours, isn't it? You know, when Moses is frightened, he tells him, I'll be with you. When Gideon is going, Lord, what am I going to do? He tells him, I'll be with you. When Jeremiah feels overwhelmed with the task, he says, I will be with you. And indeed, Jesus tells his disciples, I will be with you. An answer to fear is the assurance of God's presence. For us, we probably want something more tangible. But from God's perspective, it's all we need. And the cross has brought that for us. That access, the lamb without blemish or spot, has surrendered his life on the cross for you. That you need not fear. Because I will be with you now and forevermore. until I could bring you into my presence. Jesus comes to our home that he might bring us one day to his home. Let's pray. Father, these are spiritual things, Father, and we can take them in the flesh and try and understand them in our minds. And Lord, we're left gasping. It can be an academic understanding. And Father, we pray that it wouldn't be that, not just that. We pray, Father, that it would be a spiritual understanding where the love you have for us can be seen in Calvary and that that love can be transmitted into our hearts to reassure us and comfort us and change our lives forever and bring us peace. Pray that you'd be with us now, Lord, as we gather around the table soon. Just come by your Spirit, Lord Jesus. Amen. We're going to stand just before we come around the Lord's table. We're going to sing Amazing Grace. What amazing grace.
like to read out uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, and just to, to invite you around the Lord's table. Um, you're very welcome to uh, share communion with us. Um, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that's the qualification, you could say, that relationship with him. Philippians 2, 5 to 11, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Please allow me in the words of Isaiah to emphasize just how low he went in order to reach you and I. Isaiah 53, verse 3. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. That word esteem, in Hebrew, it's, a, it's an accountancy term. Uh, it means to add up uh, the total value of something. And as I hear says that they add up the value of this man and his total value, with all things considered, comes to zero. He has no value at all. We did not esteem him. But now Paul says in Philippians 2, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Oh, how marvelous! Oh, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. Oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for these symbols of bread and wine, which remind us so vividly of the cost of our salvation. Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.
Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that your presence is here. But Lord, that when we go out of this building, we don't leave your presence behind, but you're with us. Be with us each day. Be with us each moment of each day. Lead and guide us. Surround us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to stand and going to sing our final hymn. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you.